you know, welcome to the Emerald City, you know, this is, yeah. Australia's the paradise that we want to be in that isn't here. I think it's really cool um, just to on the title sense in relation to what we're about to talk about how there are kind of two different lenses you could look at this album through yeah you've got tandem comparing like a mid-class suburban guy to the entire British Empire is a pretty interesting concept for a record I believe this this was actually meant for a film that got scrapped and never actually was released. Oh, I didn't know that. But, um, yeah, they, they ended up making all the songs for it anyways, and this was off the heels of their 1968 record, The Kinks Are the Village Green Preservation Society, and, um, 1967's Something Else, which are two other really good records. Mm-hmm. I can only attest to the former of those two, but I... I know that the Kinks have a really solid foundational discography from... Well, I, I forget, you. I think you were the one who told me, like, a lot of people say that, like, the beginning of the Kinks up to a certain point is, like, the golden age of their stuff. Yeah. Um, going off of what I was saying earlier, Face to Face from 1966 was um, somewhat infamously could have been... Um, could have beat Sgt. Pepper's to the title for mm. earliest concept album, but the record company forced Ray Davies to scrap all of the extra parts that would have made it more conceptual because they didn't think it would sell well, and he was very bitter forever because of that. <laughs> and I don't blame him. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, this particular record has been a favorite of mine for a while. I, I like how beatly it is. It's it's very mm. Brit poppy. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting arrangement decisions and a lot of um, interplay between the lyrics and the and the concept that I find particularly engaging. And I I like that it's not rarely is it like ham fisted, but it's not a secret what this record is about. Like you know you can hear the lyrics and be like, okay, I get that. Yeah, like it's not trying to be overly kind of artistic and pretentious like it's and kind of thematically fitting with what it's you know uh, kind of the perspective of the decline and fall of British Empire through the perspective of just your average guy that I like that it's in a language that also speaks to the average person too yeah, I think certain tracks feel more like Arthur tracks, certain tracks feel more like the decline of the British Empire tracks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when you look at the... I mean, Arthur even gets his own song at the very end. And I like how they, they lend a sympathetic lens to him. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> it isn't just, like, bemoaning... I mean, he he doesn't have the happiest of lives. Right. When you look through the track listing. But also, it's... I mean the the ending chorus is like not it's it's uplifting and kind of hopeful at the end. Um, I, f I forget what it said what it is exactly. Um, 
I yeah, you got your, your, yeah, your I don't have it written notes. down. Um, but the the chorus is very like, you know, we got your back, Arthur. We understand. And I think that's nice. It's a nice way to close the record. Yeah. I think starting the record with Victoria and ending the record with Arthur, both like a single name mm-hmm. and both pretty directly tied to what the the dichotomy between the British Empire and Arthur himself are. Mm-hmm. And I like... I think Victoria is a damn good opener. Yeah. It, it it comes with the energy right off the gate. And it's catchy. As, as many of these tracks are. I think that one of the best aspects of this record is how infectious the melodies can be. And how... I mean, I'm, I'm humming this stuff at work. Yeah. It's easy to remember these songs. And that's kind of cool. And they all have, like, that that arranging flair. Like, those certain horn sections in the Yes Sir, No Sir. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the harpsichord in Shangri-La. The kazoos in She's Brought a Hat, like, Princess Marina. Yeah. A lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of nice touches there. Yeah, you actually hit on some of my favorite tracks on the record, too, with, uh, with um, the instru- like, the, the orchestration, I'm sorry. Because it isn't straightforward, it's got that, you know, backing brass on a lot of these, or the kazoos, like you said, which is a very nice and whimsical touch to uh, a song that's kind of, like, sad, not in a tragic way, but sad in, like, a that's kind of pathetic way. Yeah, she's she's got the hat, so she doesn't care. <laughs> and I like the tempo upswing in that one. Me too. It's It's very... It's that kind of, I guess, like, celebrity culture, but, like, done so through a, more like a aristocracy lens than, mm-hmm. like, a modern tabloid or anything like that. Right. It's not, people like... People imitating their favorite rich people. I, uh, I like how, um, if we're, if we're kind of focusing in on that track right now, I like how kind of, like, folktale-y, or, like... I don't know, it, it almost feels like a nursery rhyme in, like, the melody. Because it's just, like, so lilting and gets a little bit higher every time. Got the hat like Princess Marie. It's, it's like begging to be in a musical. Right. <laughs> it's got that show tune energy. And it does parallel the melody of Some Mother's Son pretty well. And oh, that was an observation I... Yeah. So tragic. Which is another one of my favorites, and that one is sad in the tragic sense, not in the not in the um, pathetic sense. I'm, I'm like listening to the lyrics along, and it's like that that line about he glances up and thinks of games he used to play with other kids, mm-hmm. and seconds later he is dead. It's like, oh my gosh, they were doing board games, right? <laughs> and like, I like that one because it. it the orchestration is never very heavy, and it's so, like, angelic. Like, you're almost, like, watching from above the battlefield, like... One of the most poignant anti-war songs I can think of. Yeah. And just, like, phrasing it. Some mother's son, not just a soldier, but, like, someone brought this person into this world, you know? Yeah. And it really makes you think about, like, the different contexts of... Well, in this case, it's Victorian London, mm-hmm. but, like, war in general is just... 
Yeah. So many mothers, sons lost, and but not to not to overly dwell on. Yeah, I mean, but that is that's a big part of the record. I mean, there's a couple songs about it. We we uh, get uh, Mr. Churchill. Mr. Churchill says. <laughs> Mr. Churchill says. That's another strong one. I feel like there's. Every every single track on here has at least one compelling vocal hook. Yeah, I would agree. I, I um, it it was very difficult to pick out favorites because the the quality is very consistent across the board on this one. Yeah, the if I had to, we we already mentioned some other son. I think my favorite track on the record would probably be Shangri La. Mm-hmm. The um. Gosh, it's it's like the the American dream. I I know it's a very British record, but it's a that that idea of like oh you put in all the hours and you get this little house, but you're still lonely, mm-hmm. and you can just polish the car if 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 you're feeling bored. It's like oh my gosh, the disillusionment with like the middle class life is very strong with that one. Right? Yeah, and that one's like one of the more bombastic tracks of them. Because it's got the, like, small verse, big chorus feel to it. Yeah, that might be my favorite Pink song, period. Rightly so. It's very good. Yeah, this 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 record feels... Uh, we, we've already mentioned the dichotomy between, like, the British Empire half and the Arthur mm-hmm. half. But I feel like it, it navigates it so deftly between the two. It's, it's not, like... It's not super hard-nosed, like... You could you could clearly see the parallels between an aging single man's life in a country over the next couple centuries of history. Yeah, yeah, and I feel like the the flow of the record is really organic and natural too. There are a lot of those dichotomies, and there's a lot of content that's covered, but it's never. Well, this feels out of place, or like you know, we went from. Some mother's son to you know this really goofy song, but I mean, like that never happens, you know. From some other son, we get to driving, which is like more tongue in cheek, but it's still commenting on you know trying to put yourself into the world's problems and figure out your perspective compared to other people's. And ah, there's just a, I think the track ordering is one of my favorite things about the record too. The reflective nature of the second half, in particular, gets me, like, to cite another track, Young and Innocent Days, is, mm-hmm. <sighs> it's, it's the kind of song that's, like, a, a literal sigh, like, nostalgia bundled up into one thing. And it's so melancholic, too, because, like, it, it is, like, the Young and Innocent Days, how nice, but it's, like, it's so short, it's, like, the shortest track on the album, keeping that in mind as well as like oh man it's bittersweet and i like that this this whole record is full of i already mentioned like a vocal hook for every single track but there's some really smart decisions with um the instrumentation that we also mentioned and i i liked what you said about the track ordering because it it plops you in and there's there's never a moment where it like anything particularly jarring. Although the two longest tracks are in the middle right there with Australia and Shangri-La. Mm-hmm. 
the jamming at the end of Australia might be like my main nitpick that it goes on a little long. Yeah. The first half of that one is like one of my favorite parts of the whole album because it's so like lush and kind of like, you know, welcome to the Emerald City. You know, this is Australia is the paradise that we want to be in that isn't here. It's a kind of colonialism. Yeah. Australia. It's just so pretty. (laughs) Knowing that this was going to be like a movie with a plot makes the ordering strength make a lot of sense. Yeah. Like, now I can totally click, like, oh, yeah, like, Mr. Churchill right into She's Bought a Hat Like Princess Marina. Of course. Like, that makes total sense, you know, thematically and narrative-wise. But that doesn't mean that it isn't good that it is that way. Like, I think that's really cool. Yeah. I think it's just a very smart record, the both in the minutia and in the macro. I have in my notes nothing to say. The track feels kind of like a curtain call, even. Like, I can feel the the musical theater kind of hand at play in this as well, kind of like we were mentioning um, earlier. It's kind of the Sgt. Pepper's reprise yeah. track of the record. And I think it's cool that they have a song called Nothing to Say where they talk about how they're like, well, what can you say about that? And then they have another song right after that saying something about that. (laughs) (laughs) What's the deal with that? (laughs) And Nothing to Say this song is another one of my highlights for sure. Just like some of the rousing harmonies. That and Young and Innocent Days are like my favorite harmony tracks probably. Yeah. And I also like the tandem... Um, refrain and driving. That that one has a nice little to it. Driving. One track we haven't brought up yet is Brainwashed. Um, that one I find is kind of an interesting little interlude. I think the that one has a lot of like the future packed into it. Like I can hear how garage, like, earlier garage rock and punk bands were really inspired by, like, this track in particular. Yeah, and it's got that kind of, like, anti-political... Right. ...sort of thing. I mean, anyone citing being brainwashed as a major... I I, I could see, like, The Clash doing a song like that, for Mm -hmm. instance, like, ten years later or something. Right, just, like, like increase the BPM and make it yellier, and then it's a Clash song. Yeah. And, like, this this album is... It actually does rock out amongst all the... Mm-hmm. all the fun little harpsichord ditties, and it, it, it has a formalness to it, just since, I mean, the Kinks are one of the most British bands ever. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think this is one of those records where the... The highs are high enough that it it bumps it up to like one of my favorite albums of the whole sixties, and we we don't often cover stuff this old here on turntables. It's true. It's kind of fun to look back. Yeah, yeah, and I think when I was kind of trying to collect my thoughts, this was a very difficult record to score, just because like I'm looking at it from a context of over fifty years ago. Yeah. Whereas like I don't know. I think the kinks were, like, in the same ballpark of experimentation and revolutionary for music as the Beatles were, just in different ways. Yeah, I think they've been kind of 
given a disservice, and I mean, I mean, obviously the Beatles are like ubiquitous and everyone knows of them, but the Kinks kind of get brushed aside as like a two-hit wonder with You Really Got Me and Lola by a lot of like classic rock stations and stuff like that. Yeah, when there's like a great catalog here that you know, people just miss out on. Even though it is, like, popular, of course, you know, it's not like the kinks are underground. Um, but... Right. You know, when was the last time you heard driving on the radio? <laughs> yeah, and, like, I know f- certain oldie stations, they, they, could, they could do some wonders with adding some kinks into their... Beyond just, like, the two main hits, and I guess all day and all of the night. Mm-hmm. Was that one in Guitar Hero? Yeah, that was in one of the Guitar Heroes, I think. Yeah, which is basically a, a copy-pasted You Really Got Me, but with, like, a few extra notes. I forgot that those were different songs, to be honest. Yeah! For a quick second there. It, it reminds me of those old, like, Four Seasons songs, like, Sherry and Big Girls Don't Cry and Walk Like a Man being all kind of, like, yeah, this is basically the same song. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but... Back in the '60s, it didn't matter. You could you could get number ones, yeah, a little bit easier. <laughs> you could crank them out if you do the same thing enough times. Yeah, and looking back, it's like 1969 was a stacked year for music, mm-hmm. and this this might be. I mean, what that was the same year as Abbey Road, right? Mm-hmm. And I think like. Beach Boys kind of had fizzled out by then. They they had some good late period stuff, but mm. that was that was before they just became the Mike Love nostalgia train. <laughs> that was that was the pre Kokomo days. <laughs> <laughs> we don't talk about Kokomo here. <laughs> those, those are some battle wounds. Yeah. I, I I don't actually hate Kokomo. I, For the I, record. I, I I like pretending to hate Kokomo. It's <laughs> one of my many fun little bits here in our dialogue and discourse. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, well, shall we... Shall we transition into scoring? Sure, sure. Um, again, I had a lot of trouble putting a score on this. Just because it's a different style, and it's a different decade, and that can be a hard language barrier to pass. And I'm not saying that I, you know usually struggle with this which I don't but sometimes it's just like gotta keep in mind what where this album came from and what it came out alongside of you know what I mean and so um so I was like I don't want to overrate it because it's like important but I don't want to underrate it because it's like not at all the kind of you can't say slap a distortion pedal on this one track that would make it way better you know because it's just it's just such a different era yeah so i kind of like set a solid like high seven low eight out of ten rating for myself somewhere in that ballpark yeah i have 7.7 written down here but like talking about it makes me think yeah well yeah i'm underrating it a little bit um so i'll I'll just say 7.9 to uh, 8.0 out of 10 for now and if we ever make this a blog i can fix that in post. <laughs> yeah, I was debating making a, a blog for this. I've got grand I- grandiose ideas for the turntables community. <laughs> that, <laughs> but in our early episodes here. Yeah, this record is full of 
smart decisions and the concept the two tandem concepts combined to make a really engaging look at the geopolitical sphere of both one guy and an entire country all kind of decaying at their own rate and I think the hooks are strong enough to put this in the nine range for me mm-hmm. um I think I'll, I might even throw a 9.5 on it. I, I really dig this record. It was pretty formative for me. I got really into the Kings back in 2018, and I, I find they're, they, they just really, really smart songwriting from, mm. from Ray Davies, the band leader. Yeah. Check yeah. back next time for more Turn Into Tables. Yes, yeah, so we'll be talking about an album, and it will be at least the two of us. <laughs> right. These things I can guarantee. <laughs> yeah, we we got we got a good good crew here. everybody thanks for listening to this episode Uh, i think kevin picked a really good one with arthur or the decline and fall of british empire by the kinks for our next episode i've chosen the debut lp by the brooklyn band a great big pile of leaves uh, and their album have you seen my prefrontal cortex hopefully you give it a listen and we'll see you in a couple weeks